1: Yes, indeed it is, as we continue into our number two. Now, a little late coming back. It's 13 minutes after 10 o'clock. We uh, went a little bit long with Jack Windsor, but he had a lot of very important information. I mean, truly, the article that I have retweeted and I have posted on my Facebook pages, uh, France Radio, both places, F-R-A-N-T-Z, France Radio, um, it's a treasure trove of extraordinarily important information that really gives you gives all of us um, a roadmap to understanding how and why the policy decisions that have been made by Governor Mike DeWine and the mumbling lab coat next to him, uh, why they were made and why it is so egregious and outrageous and unforgivable that those policies were not walked back immediately from backdrop to present day, everything that Jack reported on here is backed by data, not opinion, by numbers, by the statistics, by the CDC, and more. It's, it's, it really is a treasure trove of information, and it's not opinions, it's fact. And you've got to read it for yourself. Like I said, it's 13 pages long, but if you've got a little bit of time, and really a desire to understand why our state has been uh, completely uh... shackled the way that it has been and it still is people say well you know we're opening things up now no we're not not really not with this uh... you know capacity limit on on businesses how many people can come in uh... how they can conduct themselves the fact that they you know have to wear these uh... these fear masks in certain circumstances because they're being promoted once again by a guy who is just flat out lying about the impact of, the danger of, and the effectiveness of fear masks. As Jack summarizes at the end of his article, uh, the results are these. An estimated 2 million Ohioans unemployed, more than 1,580 nursing home deaths, zero deaths of people under the age of 30, but ample regulations that strap the age group under 30 anyway, a startling number of businesses that will never reopen, and if history repeats itself, a 20% and counting increase in suicides. And that is what uh, Mike DeWine and uh, the Lab coat hath wrought, and it's something that is absolutely 100% indefensible. Let me say that again. Indefensible. Bottom line. All right, uh, I want to get into, first of all, phone lines are open now, 216 901 945 888 I want to get into this. Uh, this is an article that I was only made aware of over the weekend. It was actually written on May 1st, so it's about three weeks, four weeks old, but it doesn't matter because its point is spot on. This was from um, the American Institute for Economic Research, A-I-E-R, American Institute for Economic Research. And the headline would make you think that, what do I care about Woodstock for? Woodstock occurred in the middle of a pandemic. Well, it sounds like it's about Woodstock, and it's not. What I want to share with you right now from this article is extraordinarily important to understanding how terrible the decisions we are making today are. Because this is an apples-to-apples kind of comparison. And and I want you to understand exactly why we fight. Why are we pushing back against uh, DeWine and the Labco? Why are we pushing back against Newsom out in California? They're filing lawsuits in in many states, Whitmer up in Michigan. They're filing many, many lawsuits in many, many states. And by the way, that was also covered, the lawsuits filed here in the uh, state of Ohio and the ruling. Uh, by the Lake County Judge Eugene Lucci, whose uh, ruling essentially said to the lab coat, "You can't do this. You have no authority to do this. The Director Acton has no statutory authority to close all businesses, including the plaintiffs' gyms." This is again a result to uh, in response to a lawsuit. She has acted in an impermissibly arbitrary, unreasonable, and oppressive manner without any procedural safeguards. This is a judge, and it's happening in states all over the country. But this is why we fight. This is why we push back, because of the terrible mistakes that are being made on our behalf, and ultimately by us, right? Because we elected these people, and we should be ashamed of that. This is again from uh, AIER, the American Institute for Economic Research. In my lifetime, writes AIER, There was another deadly flu epidemic in the United States. The flu spread from Hong Kong to the United States, arriving in December 1968 and peaking one year later. It ultimately killed 100,000 people in the U.S., mostly over the age of 65, and a million people worldwide. Lifespan in the U.S. in those days was 70, whereas today it's 78. The population then was 200 million, as compared with 328 million today. It was also a healthier population with lower obesity. If it would be possible to extrapolate the death data based on population and demographics, we might be looking at a quarter million deaths today from this virus. So in terms of lethality, it was as deadly and scary in 1968 as COVID-19, if not more so. Though we will have to wait and see. And I would pause there and say it's actually much more so. Because 100,000 deaths in a population of 200 is certainly a lot worse than 100,000 deaths in a population of 300, uh, 328 million. 100,000 deaths in a population of 200 million is obviously much higher rate than 100,000 deaths in 328 million, plus when then you also consider, again, the average lifespan, et cetera. At any rate, in 1968-69, says Nathaniel Moyer in national interest, the H3N2 pandemic killed more than individuals in the U.S. than the combined total numbers of American fatalities during both the Vietnam and Korean wars. And this happened in the lifetime of every American who is 52 years of age or over. Our lifetimes. I was five years old and have no memory of this at all. And this is, again, I'm reading. Not That's not me. This is the article. My mother vaguely remembers being very careful washing surfaces, And encouraging her mom and dad to be careful. Otherwise, it's mostly forgotten about today. Why? Nothing was closed by force then. That's why. Schools mostly stayed open. Businesses did too. You could go to the movies. You could go to bars and restaurants. John Fund has a friend who reports having attended a Grateful Dead concert during the pandemic. In fact, people have no memory or even awareness of that famous Woodstock concert of August 1969 planned in January during the worst period of the death of the pandemic. And it actually occurred during a deadly American flute pandemic that only peaked globally six months later. There was no thought being given to the virus, which, like ours today, was dangerous mainly for a non-concert-going demographic. It was dangerous for those 65 and over. Stock markets didn't crash because of the flu of 1968-69. Congress passed no legislation. The Federal Reserve did nothing. Not a single governor acted to enforce social distancing or curve flattening or banning of crowds. No mothers were arrested for taking their kids to other homes. No surfers were arrested. No daycares were shut down, even though there were more infant deaths with this virus than the one we are experiencing right now. There were no suicides and no unemployment, no drug overdoses attributable to the flu or the response to the flu. The media covered the pandemic, but it never became a big issue. Now, I'm going to pause here because i got a break at 1021. But the Hong Kong flu of 1968-69 afflicted this country in far worse ways than the COVID-19 pandemic right now is, and we did nothing to shut down the American economy and way of life, and nobody even remembers it. We'll pick that up when we come right back on AM 1420, The Answer. Okay, 1026, we continue on AM 1420, The Answer. I want to give you a little bit more of the article. <clears throat> Comparing what this nation did in 1968-69 during a very, very deadly flu pandemic that um, we are not doing today, or vice versa. Well, no, I can keep it that way. Because what we did then was live our lives. What we did then... Was continue with our economy, continue commerce and education, and so on. We didn't slam the brakes on our entire existence the way we are today. And as a result, people didn't lose their houses, the stock market didn't crash, people didn't kill themselves. Nothing was school, nothing was closed by force, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, let's continue. As Bojan Panjewski said in the Wall Street Journal, in 1968 to 70, news outlets devoted cursory attention to the virus while training their lenses on other events such as the moon landing and the Vietnam War and the cultural upheaval of the post or the uh, civil rights movements, student protests, the sexual revolution. The only actions governments took was to collect data, watch and wait and encourage testing and vaccines. Yes, that's right. This is one similarity. There was an encouragement for vaccines. Nothing required and nothing was shut down while waiting for said vaccines. The medical community took the primary responsibility for disease mitigation, as one might expect. It was widely assumed that diseases require medical, not political responses. It's not as if we had governments unwilling to intervene in other matters. We had the Vietnam War, social welfare, public housing, urban renewal, the rise of Medicare and Medicaid. We had a president swearing to cure all poverty, illiteracy, and disease. Government was as intrusive as it has ever been in history then, but for some reason there was no thought given to shutting down America. Which raises the question, why was this different? We'll be trying to figure this one out for decades. Was the difference now that we now have a mass media invading our lives with endless notifications blowing up in our pockets? Was there some change in philosophy such that we now think politics is responsible for all existing aspects of life? Was there a political element here in the in uh, in that the media blew this wildly out of proportion as revenge against Trump and his deplorables? Or did our excessive adoration of predictive modeling get out of control to the point where we where we let a physicist with ridiculous models frighten the world's government into violating the human rights of billions of people? Maybe all of these were factors. Or maybe there is something darker and nefarious at work, as the conspiracy theorists would have it. Regardless, they also have some explaining to do. By way of personal recollection, my own mother and father were part of a generation that believed they had developed sophisticated views of viruses. They understood that less vulnerable people getting them not only strengthened the immune system, but contributed to disease mitigation by reaching herd immunity. They had a whole protocol to make a child feel better about being sick. I got a sick toy. I got unlimited ice cream, Vicks VapoRub on my chest, a humidifier in my room, and so on they would constantly congratulate me on building immunity. They did their very best to be happy about my viruses while doing their best to get me through them. If we used government lockdowns then like we use them now, Woodstock, which changed, changed music forever and still resonates today, would never have occurred. How much prosperity, culture, tech, etc. are we losing in this calamity? What happened between then and now? Was there some kind of lost knowledge? As happened with scurvy, when we once had sophistication and then the knowledge was lost and had to be refound. For COVID 19, we reverted to medieval style understandings and policies, even in the 21st century. It's all very strange. The contrast between 1968 and 2020 could not be more striking. They were smart. We are idiots. Or at least our governments are. That's the article from the American Institute for Economic Research written earlier this month about the pandemic of 68 and 69 compared to today. It ends appropriately. They were smart. We are idiots. When will we wise up? Your phone calls to follow the news on AM 1420 The Answer. Ten thirty five, we continue on AM 1420, the answer. I, I gotta tell you, that was one of the best articles I've ever I've read some doozies, honestly, in the last um four or five days. Some really fantastic pieces that really illustrate what our responses have been in the past to these types of things, these pandemics, etc., compared to what our response is now. What we are doing now is in it's inconceivable, quite frankly. It's um it it it, it just doesn't make any sense. There, there is no rhyme or reason to trying to provide a one-size-fits-all approach to something that is fitting different segments of the population. Very something that is affecting different segments of the population, different demographics, very, very differently. That, that's just the reality of the situation. And uh, this piece by um, uh, the uh, uh, American Institute. I'm sorry, uh, I've lost my place now. Uh, by the, well, the article that I just read you for, about Woodstock, American Institute for Economic Research. There you go. Cause I'm looking at a few other ones at the same time. And I, I want to share them with you as well, but I want to get your reactions first. So let's go to the phones two one six nine zero one zero nine four five triple eight two eight one eleven ten. If you want to weigh in, uh, especially on what you just heard with the comparison of the 68 69 pandemic to today, if you want to weigh in on uh, social, do so at France Radio, F R A N T Z Radio, all one word, no spaces and no underscores. We're going to go to um, Todd first on AM 1420, The Answer. Hey, Todd, you're on the air. Go right ahead. Yo, Bob. I'm
2: not inclined to weigh in on it too much because I feel I feel strongly there's some facts left out of there, and I'm not I'm not tight on the history of it enough to be able to say one way or the other what the, what the actual facts are in detail. However, I would like to bring this up. There there appears to be more reaction to imagery than it is substance of fact as it applies to modern day. I just recently found out that the Shaker Heights um, pool, Thornton Park. And all of the Cleveland pools are closed for the summer. Right. And it seems to me that anybody worth their weight who understands what chlorine does to any coronavirus would know that if you had just opened the pools up for lap swimming alone, which means you put the lines in the lane lines in the pool, yeah. you tell people you go back and forth, and that's pretty much it, that that would still be a function of government meaning these are government-owned pools, run pools, and there will be lifeguards. A lot of them are teenagers. I used to be one of them, a lifeguard, that would have jobs, and you're not going to have a whole lot of people there anyway doing lap swimming because they just generally don't do that in heavy populations relative to what the population is. And that seemed rational to me. So I'm like, well, why are you closing the whole thing? And I find out that, well, then people are going to complain because the kiddie pool's not open. Well, the kiddie pool shouldn't be open because that's a lot of, that's a lot of close contact and diving and a number of other things horse room for horse playing I can understand that as well, but why wouldn't you just open it up for lap swimming? You know something simple like that
1: yeah and, that, and, and, and while that okay. would that would be a i want to call a solution a, a better situation than what they have now, right uh, little kids don't want to lap swim, you know the idea that little children shouldn't be allowed to frolic with one another in a pool. A public pool uh, it, it, that that to me is just insane uh, especially when you consider two things number one if you're out in the pools the public pools chances are it's a sunny day uh, sunlight is obviously a natural and I won't say it just kills the virus otherwise it wouldn't exist and you know in the southern hemisphere but it, it obviously is a, a natural uh, uh, um, inhibitor of the virus from spreading as is chlorine public pools oh. are filled with chlorine and chlorine kills uh, coronaviruses it is very directed it, it's scientifically you know stated so uh so you're right put in the lanes and let people swim at least from that standpoint it automatically creates a natural social distance barrier there uh for those who want to do that but the idea that kids can't go into the water together uh and and actually enjoy themselves is something that i can't get over either
2: well to some degree i'm okay with that but my thing but my thing is that not just i just use the lap swimming as an example my Mm -hmm. thing is that if you understand the facts of the matter the scientific facts of the matter, then you should base your decisions as a government on what's going to be done and what's not going to be done on that and not on the imagery of complaining people from complaining people. You follow me?
1: I do. I do. Right. Uh, it, 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 Todd, and I appreciate the phone call. Thanks much. It's a good point. There's so many different elements here uh, uh, to this. The, the, what, what Todd brought up about the pools, by the way, and gyms and so forth, is one small element of the larger picture in which we are essentially being conditioned. And I don't want to overstate this, but I don't think I am overstating it when I say that we are being conditioned um, to accept fear and distance, uh, you know, it's funny, they call it social distancing, and I would call, I would say it's, that's antithetical to what they're doing. It's anti-social distancing. You're not allowed to socialize. You're not allowed to sit next to somebody you don't know at a bar. You're not allowed to work out next to somebody you don't know at a gym, and you're not allowed to frolic in the pool with somebody, uh, you know, if you're, if you're a kid. Um, it's anti-social distancing, and that's a new normal and a training and a, a conditioning that is being done to us that quite frankly i will never ever be okay with um let's go on to lisa who's calling from cleveland on am 1420 the answer hi lisa hi. go ahead
3: hi bob i enjoy the show i uh, guess i just have uh, two subjects i'll make my points quick uh, number one is about the state legislature um i have a relative who's been retired about 15 years from the state and um this um relative encouraged me to look into the funding that the um, what do you call it all our legislatures get from nursing homes and it's quite amazing that it appears that more Republicans than Democrats get a lot of money from nursing homes which would make them want to maybe not be you know skew the facts a little bit and also according to the um, the dispatch the Columbus dispatch, when it came to the voting instead of i guess the whole like state congress voting on it mm-hmm. uh, mr householder who's speaker of the house um took it to committee which means there's like four democrats four republicans and according to the dispatch mr householder is not for us he's in the hands of um mike dewine and um another thing too is like myself, i don't think I that's
1: in- i don't think that's true if i may I don't think Larry Householder is in the hands of Mike DeWine. I think Larry Householder has been a thorn in the side of Mike DeWine. I think he is somebody that if given his, his way, this, you know, Hire would have been opened up a long time ago and a lot of what DeWine has instituted would not be allowed. It's the other side, in my opinion, and from what I have been told, uh and, and quite frankly from his actions I think it's the other Larry, it's Larry Abhoff who's the Senate president who has yes. been who has been kind of in the pocket of Mike DeWine here. He's the problem as far as I see it because Senate bills one and fifty five were passed out of the Ohio House and they go over to the Senate and Obhoff won't give them the time of day. So that's that's where I think the biggest obstacle is in my opinion.
3: Well and with Larry, I've had very good success with calling his office because I have um Mr. Skindell, which I'm still waiting for him to come back on and explain the ammo. So I call him, and I've had very good responses from Mr. Householder's office. Uh, number two, when I applied for unemployment, I don't quite make 20 hours a week, but I work. I'm 52 years being an insulin-dependent diabetic, and my husband's insurance is $1,400 a month. So I work um a ten month job with the city so that I can get insurance. I was tonight unemployment. However, um the unemployment system has been hacked into. I can't get a hold of the state. And um there there's there's no reaction whatsoever. So my social security number could be out there. So I'm I'm hoping maybe an attorney will step up and maybe uh form a class action suit. But my last comment is I think we need the um bill Barr's office to come in here and just totally go over this state because there's something going on here that isn't right and i think mr windsor what a wonderful man i think that we all should email tucker carlson he needs to go on the tucker carlson show and get this stuff out there on the national airwaves to let them know that Mr. DeWine and uh, Dr. Labcoat are just because the liberal media like them, there's a lot of us here in Ohio that are not happy. And uh, thanks for your show. I enjoyed it a lot, and you have a great day.
1: Thank you. I appreciate your phone call, Lisa. And I concur, by the way. yeah, Jack ought to be able to take that message nationally. And the reason why is because... Um, you know, Mike DeWine is national. Mike, De- Mike DeWine is on one of the Sunday news shows every single week. He's getting primetime, uh, cable news slots as well. And, uh, quite frankly, it's, it's, you know, it's a joke. It's a joke that he is being treated as some sort of a medical slash political policy making god, um, by some of the national media who don't know what's going on here in Ohio, who don't know the numbers that, J- the that way that Jack presented them. The way that Jack, uh, uh, Windsor, you know, dug inside all of the numbers, whether it's the R naught numbers, whether it's the demographic death numbers, whether it's the infection numbers with the, uh, uh, with respect to the antibodies and so on. Nobody else is doing this work. There's no journal, journalistic curiosity in Ohio, as far as I'm concerned anymore, where people are doing this. So Mike DeWine gets to go on national television all the time and say things that, quite frankly, are just not accurate. And nobody calls him on it, at least again nationally. And that's where I, yeah, I would love to see somebody who's got the inside knowledge, the way Jack has has dug this out and is uh, very professional in presenting it. I would love to see him get a national, um, uh, you know, spot to really kind of let the rest of the country know: Hey, don't support and believe in what you are getting from Mike DeWine because it's not accurate. Here's the reality of the situation. Lewis is calling us from uh, Avon Lake on AM fourteen twenty. The answer: Hi, Lewis. Go ahead, sir. It's Lois. Oh, it says Lewis on my screen. My apologies. Let's get that you out of that's, there. It's Lois. Hi, Lois. Go ahead.
4: That's okay. Uh, Bob, I've really enjoyed your shows of late. The last few weeks have been great. Thank you. Um, what I'm calling for is that when John Renisi was running for governor, Jim, again, and and uh, DeWine was as well, um, I was polled. And one of the questions on the poll was, was I aware that Governor DeWine was a Democrat until he changed to Republican to run for governor? Is that true? Do that is know? not true. He,
1: that, that is not true. He's been a Republican in the Senate. He's been, he's been, in, he's been in politics his entire career. He's always been a registered Republican. He's always run as a Republican.
4: Okay, I have one more question.
1: By the way, if I may, before you ask that question, however, for some strange reason, and this is what we're all wondering here, for some strange reason, this lifelong Republican wins the governorship and appoints a liberal Democrat by the name of Amy Acton to be his health director who's running all of these uh, you know these decisions that are making the rest of us wonder what in the world is going on so i don't know why but yes he has been a republican uh in name anyway if not in practice but most importantly his his appointment to to run this uh pandemic if you will and the response to the pandemic has been uh, is a is a liberal democrat named amy acton well
4: i agree with you on that And actually, every doctor that I've heard on the radio, and I'm disabled and I'm 82 years old, so I don't do television. I do radio from 6 in the morning until whenever at night, sometimes all night. Right. In any event, one of the things is I've heard all these doctors being interviewed on all these other shows especially Dr. Tenpenny from, um, uh, you know, I can't remember the name of the city.
1: I know, I know. But I know Eddie. she right.
4: But they make Dr. Uh,
1: Lampcoat
4: sound like she's in the third grade. <laughs>
1: Well, you know, I've I've I have felt the same way. I have been very much less than impressed with the presentation of Dr. Labcoat every day because she gets asked questions when when they're not the ones that she's expecting that are being fed to her. When she gets gets asked questions about data that is easily accessible by anybody who goes to the state's website and goes to the CDC and so on and so forth and says, we don't have that data, we'll have to report back to you, and then never does again. It looks and sounds extraordinarily unprofessional and and, and very amateurish.
4: She sounds really dumb to me, pure and simple.
1: Well, uh, But
4: in any event... Thank you. Very I probably much wouldn't go, Lois, as
1: far, in my opinion, and, and I'm sorry, dear, we're talking over each other because of the delay in the phone. And, and thank you for your phone call. I wouldn't go so far as just to call her dumb. I do not think she has Ohio's best interest in mind. I think she is acting with a personal uh, motivation, and I do not think she has been prepared for her job. She is clueless when it comes to the actual uh, disease, how it is spread, how fast it would be spread. She has been wrong all day long, and why she continues to be praised for being wrong as long as she has been, and not even adjusting. It's one thing to be wrong at the beginning. It's another thing to be wrong and then not adjust your policies and your orders to reflect the fact that the new material, the new data, the correct data is in. And she refuses to do that because she refuses to admit that she was indeed wrong. And that, to me, is, is uh, inexcusable. It's 10.50, final segment coming up on AM 1420, The Answer.
0: We got to
1: 10:54 final segment on AM 1420, The Answer. Appreciate you being with us. Good stuff from Jack Windsor today. Again, if you did not read that article, uh, you really want to do so. It's uh, headlined, Governor DeWine Suppresses Data Disproving COVID-19 Policies. It was posted yesterday at the website, uh, WMFDTV.com, and uh, I have put it up on uh, my social media sites as well. You're going to want to read it. Take some time. It's 13 pages, and it's a lot to absorb. But I'll tell you this, too again uh, and thanks to my friend jack for doing this and coming on with us he puts it into very easily consumable bites um i, I kind of like to send you or or you know refer you to things that are a lot shorter and easier to read this is longer but it's very easily compartmentalized if that makes sense so it really is easy to understand what is going on here. So uh and I'll be really interested to see if he gets any more questions. He told me that he kind of got shut out um yesterday uh drawing number eighteen in the random drawing that they have from computer or excuse me, computer from uh reporters. Uh, who are covering the uh, uh, governor's press conference. Uh, and he got number 18. He was not part of the original draw, I think, is the way he described it. And so it'll be interesting to see if they uh, continue to try to shut him out because he is bringing up things that the governor does not want you to be aware of. And that, by the way, is terrifying as far as I'm concerned. Uh, let's go back to it. And uh, TJ is in Cleveland on AM 1420 The Answer. Hey, TJ, go ahead.
5: Yeah, you know, Bob, I was so upset over the weekend. And the Plain Dealer on their editorial page is like a memorial to uh, uh, Memorial Day. They had a picture of the unknown soldier with a wreath on it. Next to it, the grave site of a Corona victim with a wreath on it. Now, you know, I'm not insensitive to the deaths, you know, to this virus. But Memorial Day is probably one of our most sacred, you know, holidays. And now they're trying to combine that holiday with their political agenda. Now, we never use cancer deaths or uh, uh, traffic deaths, you know, uh, combined with Memorial Day. And I think what they're doing, they're making this virus bigger than life for one reason, to destroy Trump's economy, to try to get him out of office in November. And that's the only reason they're doing it. And I'm going to tell you, as far as the RNC in Ohio, I'm – they're calling me all the time for donations, and until I donate a penny, I want a plausible explanation on how DeWine appointed this Amy Atkins, and the majority of the Ohio Senators agreed with him, and until I get an explanation, I ain't sending them a penny. I mean, I want to know why they did this. This is one of the most left-wing people in Ohio, and like I said, not just DeWine, but our Senators. You know, uh, agreed with that appointment, that, and I would like all of them. To veterans-
1: she was confirmed. She was confirmed by the Ohio Senate, which is Republican-dominated, thirty-one to nothing. Nobody yeah. opposed her. Confirmation. this liberal, Obama-supporting, uh, um, Planned Parenthood-affiliated, abortion-supporting, third-trimester abortion-supporting doctor, if you will, um, was, was approved by the Republican as if they didn't even bother to look at her, to vet her, to figure out who she is and what she was and what her policies were and what her history was. I don't understand it either. And Mike DeWine, if you ask him about that, he gets very, very defensive. He gets very, very angry that anybody would dare question A- a his commitment to pro life and B her qualifications to be the uh, uh, to be the uh, Ohio Department Department of Health director. He gets very upset by it.
5: Well, they owe us an explanation. The RNC, Bob, they really do. I mean, I want to know why. What were they thinking when they did this? Were they just not knowing? Which is almost worse, you know? If they didn't know. Uh, and one other thing: when is the veterans' groups going to stand up and nail this plane dealer for what they did? This was disgusting, you know, to use their political agenda. To take away one of our most sacred holidays, they've tried to take away Christmas from us on the left. It just goes on and on. Uh, It's time to fight back. And this is all political, Bob. There's no question about it. This is all political. And I don't know how many people on our side are part of this swamp. It's starting to get scary. It's a lot deeper. And I think the swamp waves have rolled into Ohio also.
1: Oh, there's no doubt about that. No doubt about that. I've said the same thing about Ohio, that the swamp exists in Columbus as well. There's no doubt about that. TJ, thanks for the phone call. I appreciate it. Um, Governor DeWine angered a lot of people, by the way. I've I've heard from them when he ordered the, the, the flags to have staff over the weekend in honor of not just our war dead, which is what Memorial Day is all about, but to commemorate the deaths of people who died of COVID nineteen, it's not the way it's supposed to be done. Now you can say, "Well, they were already down anyway." You can say we want. Yeah, I get it. And they, he also had him lowered because of the death of Annie Glenn, uh, John Glenn's widow, uh, and I get all of that. But but. It's not supposed to be done for people who die of a disease. Otherwise, when are we going to have the flags lowered to half staff for cancer and other things as well? It's all the time I've got to analyze it now. We are out of time. Thanks so much for being a part of the program. Thanks to Jack Winsor for being our guest, and we'll talk to you tomorrow. Bye bye.
2: Enjoy the silence.